yeah, we're right in the flow of things. So I, I just, I just push the record bu button. Um, Joel was just giving me a hard time about, um, my love letter to Georgia tech. Did you know, Joel, that, uh, I talked to somebody earlier this week. That you talked to somebody? That I, no, I just assumed. Yeah. First off, did you know face? that I talked to some, you yeah. and Eric have so much time to be able to look up these articles. I, I assume. No, you didn't have any time to talk to him. Yeah. That's awesome. So Eric, how are you doing? Right. <laughs> anyway, this person. Th oh, this there's is more. How, how, there's more to the story. You know, the, Unlike a lot of the other podcasts the, that have no actual, like there, there's like the intro, right. and then the the main body's lacking. So this has a main body. There's actually going to be a point to this yep, story. It does. All right, let's hit it. Yeah, this is the wonder of social media. I talked to somebody earlier this week that thought that I was currently working at Georgia Tech. They saw the clip somewhere and they were yep. like, "Oh wow, Chris is back at Tech." Back attack. Done deal. Nice. Yeah. There, yeah. Sorry. Um, uh, that's that's the sound of uh, Joel Rawlings. Unfortunately, he's back. We've been having a really good time, Eric and I. I know. Um, having nice, mature, respectful conversations yes. on the podcast. I always drag and, it down. Um, I'm sorry. Yeah. Joel's back to drag it down and also drag me down. For some reason, he inspires me to act extremely childish. Yeah. Um, and revert to the 14-year-old boy version of myself. But... You know, such is life. We're on we're on our way to setting a viewership record. Eric is here as well from his kitchen in Houston. How are you, Eric? Well, it's my dining room slash office slash kitchen slash bar. So things are wow. going well. What do you have stacked yeah, well, in your we, bar? Yeah. Um, quite a bit of whiskey, mm -hmm. a little bit of gin, tequila, vodka, kind of the you know, the standards. Okay. Um Higher end stuff, or do you have any like you know, not, badger not land? Not super or? crazy. Right. Yeah, no. <laughs> I do have I do have one bottle. Or actually, I have more. I have like about four or five bottles from Wisconsin. All right, just checking. Yeah. So, shout out, so shout out to Rayhorse. Yeah, yeah, low end stuff. Shout out okay. to Great I got it. Yeah. Okay. 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 Not a uh, <laughs> Should be enough. And enough Wisconsin. We are we're actually drunk on life here at Jersey Wahoo's headquarters because USA Swimming. Uh, Club Excellence came out today, and uh, we are a gold medal club. So I can I can change my intro to saying we're sponsored by Jersey Wahoos, a gold medal club in Mount Laurel, New Jersey. It's official. Um, Congratulations! We, we squeaked. squeaked. Yeah. No thanks. So we squeaked like, in there. Yeah. So do you get like a, a plaque or some kind of like certificate? Get, you get the banner in the mail. Oh, you probably. Yeah, have I think. I, an eight and a half by eleven PDF that you get to print out yourself. We gotta we gotta print out those T shirts with gold medal club logo so immediately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I have. I honestly, I'm still such a noob about the um, club excellence program. I don't know anything besides, you, you know, that it's good. You get a yeah, nice. I've heard you get funding. some cool stuff. Yeah, you get I think I think we get more funding. I think you know, like, but uh, somebody listening to this is going to be so frustrated that I that I don't know. You're inside um, the velvet rope now. Yeah, you are a part we're of, one of the part of the juggernaut that is USA Swimming. So. <laughs> we're one of the cool teams, and I definitely have never. I just want everybody to know I've never disparaged the club excellence program in my life. I think it's wonderful. Um, it's a flawless system with. Uh, that Jeff truly represents what the best clubs are in the United States. And um, you will not be able to find any recordings or writings anywhere where I've ever said anything bad about the club excellence program. I think it's amazing. So I heard right. UVA swam um, Florida. Did, did I go <laughs> yeah. Okay. So let's get to the beat of the podcast. We're, we're going to talk about UVA swimming Florida. Um, then we're going to uh, make Joel teach us, um, what we should do on a flip turn. Eric's going to share a real life experience um, flipping, and we're going to justify why it's really appropriate to teach all kids to land on their heels when they're doing a turn. Um, because that's, that's what Eric thinks is right. I don't know if I agree, but we'll get there. But this first, is this is projection right now. Projection. Appreciate it, Chris. Yeah. First, let's get to this dual meet because this was um, this was a bananas dual meet. This was a bananas dual meet, and 
Um, it got a lot of coverage on Swim Swam. And I think there was some good coverage around it, um, which I understand is basically because the coaches of these teams really want there to be coverage around it. So they are granting a lot of access um, and information to Swim Swam, essentially the only news outlet we have in swimming. Apologies to Brett Hawk and Swimming World Magazine, who are now um, together. But I haven't, I haven't purposely gotten on Swimming World Magazine in over a decade. Um, I would love to know actually the last time. And I was an original uh, Lane Nine reader. That's a that's a reference for wow, everybody that's a forty and up. Um, anyway, this dual meet, Eric. Since you definitely out of the three of us consumed the most out of this dual meet, <laughs> just give us your brief impressions. And then we're going to use that as a segue into some kind of conversation about this. Uh, well, I mean, the obvious, the meet went the way that one would expect. Um, the women won uh, from UVA. UVA the, women. Yep. The UVA yeah. women won. The Florida men won. Um, some fantastic in-season unsuited results out of UVA women specifically. The men did pretty well overall, uh, both teams, but again, there's just a matter of firepower. Um, uh, in, in all honesty, there wasn't a ton in terms of like referring to other times for the Florida women. So, and I, I tried to do a little bit of a, a dive into seeing what people were at, but there's just, there's just so much with regards to how, the, the women did from Virginia that it really was kind of their show and everybody else was along for the ride. So long story short, we heard a lot from um, the UVA staff and how this just defied expectations uh, went well beyond what they had, had, had hoped for and um, looking forward to what's coming up next for them because their next dual meet is actually against UT. So they have a two-day dual meet um, both programs. That's probably not going to be very exciting. Probably not at all. No. Um, so that'll be the short of it now. I have a bunch of other stuff that I looked at, consumed, and thought about that I could share once you guys have your yeah. chance to, to ramble. Well, I mean, like, so I have to say my, my impressions of this are colored by my professional jealousy for uh, Todd DeSorbo. Once upon a time, we were both um, toiling assistant coaches at bottom half of ACC schools. And um, since then, he has uh, taken uh, quite a rise in his coaching career. Um, so, you know, it, it, it almost it sometimes makes it hard for me to praise UVA. So, but I'm going to go ahead and do that anyway. I, I think what he's doing right now is actually like really, really moving culture in a positive way in college swimming. Um, I think that you can see a thread um, that definitely started when he was at NC State. Um, they definitely put a high priority on swimming fast throughout the year. It feels like an evolution of that, but it also feels like an evolution out of, out of it because I see that other teams that they're competing against um, also feel that they need to swim fast basically at all times to sort of compete um, with UVA and um, especially even on the women's side, you know, like I, I, I think that is sort of a more dramatic um, culture shift. And it's so far from uh, where I think things were maybe even 15 years ago in college swimming. Um, and I just view it as a positive on a number of levels. I think it's a positive for, um, for kids that they get multiple opportunities instead of having everything funneled down. Of course, you're going to have funneled down pressure on one meet, but um, sort of wrapping your mind around the challenge of being fast at various junctures, um, I think does sort of diffuse a little uh, of that pressure a bit. And um, just from a pure entertainment value, like it's more fun to follow these meets. <laughs> like I, I've always talked to non-swimming people about this concept where, you know, like teams will just not really 
try to be anywhere near their best or we're trying not to be near their best in a meet. It's like, you know, imagine a college football game where, um, you know, Texas loses to, I don't know. Anybody uh, and everybody. Any, anybody. And they, they, they just go like, well, we didn't wear our like best uniforms we wore for the game. And we're, we're training really hard right now. So we're, we're trying to be good at, you know, at the big, big 12 championship game. We, we don't really care about how we do in this. Like who would want to pay to watch that? Who would care? Like if you don't as, as a team an athlete, like really care and want to be competitive in the thing that you're doing, why should anybody else care? What do you think, Joel? I think you're right. I think one thing Eric kind of missed a little bit um, was was you know the things that well no good. Not, let's let's clear up we're, we're Eric's gonna, deficits we're not gonna, we're not for once. All of them. I'm just yeah, I cut my half hour right. short. When he um, when, when see he if you can get your face in frame while you say this because you're 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 falling out of the the video frame. So anyhow, when um, Eric brought up the idea like some things that wouldn't is expected, one of them was like Florida, you know, winning the thousand on both sides, even though obviously the women at um, UVA are really strong. I mean, Florida still won the thousand, which kind of, in my mind, kind of goes kind of according to how, how a book would be written, you know, and UVA more of the sprint, but also UVA ended up you know, doing really well in the 500. Um, what I was kind of surprised by was how um, UVA like turned off scoring after the hundred fly on the women's side. You know, I, I obviously knew UVA women were, were, were exceptional. It just, I didn't realize there was that much of a disparity where they just stopped, you know, everyone went exhibition after that. Um, and right. you know, coming out of the gate, like I think they were one, two, three in the 200 medley. Obviously, you only scored two, but uh, just again the, the depth that they have. Um, but I think you're absolutely right as far as like changing the script a little bit and making, you know, a more entertainment value. I mean, it, it is. It's more exciting. I mean, we're talking about a dual meet. You know, I mean, that's that's something that really never happened before, especially early season. Everyone's like, oh, we're still got aerobic base going on. We're doing X, Y, Z. Don't expect much, and we're breaking people down. Um, but they're swimming fast already. And, and so just from a, a kid standpoint, student athlete, I mean, these meets are gotta be fun to be at, you know, the electricity of swimming Florida, the electricity of going to swim Texas, the, you know, swimming these amazing teams like this is going to bring out the best. You got coaches that are excited about being there and through it's not like, you know, we just got off the bus after eight hours. Let's do the best we can. It's, it's again, it's kind of like putting money into swimming where it used to always be the afterthought, you know, like we literally would get off of a bus and then you're supposed to perform and you're beat down from the season. And, and like you said, there really wasn't expectations to swim fast, much like, you know, again, if you're watching college football, like, well, you know, we were lifting heavy for the past month, so we're really not going to be doing very well. Like, why would you do that then? You know? And so it, it is amazing how, how that is, is swimming fast. And again, part of it too is, you know, when you always look at the D1 as, as the business, and um, this is something that's going to attract elite level talent. You know, Google, you know, they're putting slides and all these other fun things and free meals into their things because they want the best talent to come work for Google versus Apple versus whatever. The same thing here is like if you're a kid looking at results and you're seeing all these fast swims and you're seeing a meet like this, you want to be a part of it. And it just builds and builds and builds. Right. You know, fast swimming is going to attract fast swimming. And, um, and it's, again, like I said, it's a fun environment. And so I, I know the old guard is always like, well, we'll just see what happens. You know, you're stunting. It's like, well, this is kind of, in a sense, the end of their careers. You know, some are going to go on for another eight years. This is four years. Now is the time, as DeSorbo has been saying, is of sharpening the knife. Uh, the interesting thing from my perspective is just, again, how sharp can you make it, keep it, without, like, eventually over-sharpening it? It becomes brittle, in a sense, you know, where, where you kind of – uh, kind of that loading and unloading or pulsing kind of, a, of, of different energy systems a little bit and getting that balance just right. And so um, I'm always interested in seeing more of what they do beyond the, the, the marketing videos and the infomercials that they put up as far as, hey, we're climbing a rope, we're doing a 25, and now we're getting some protein shakes. How great of a day. You know, it's like obviously they're doing more than that, and that would be interesting to see what else they're doing. Yeah. And, and I think as you were saying that, that, that stuff about sharpening the knife, and then I'll get back to Eric, um, was making me think, and, and I was thinking this out loud, even as I was making my point, I can see too much, there's too much of this going wrong. Like I can see, you know, this like emphasis on let's, you know, swim pretty fast all the time going to like the burden of expectations on an October dual meet being too close 
to, you know, the burden of expectations that you have. And then the pressure is just too unrelenting for everybody involved and, and really damaging psychologically. Like I can absolutely see that happening. So I, I guess that's to say, I, I would love to get more insight too, because yeah. I hope that there's some thought being given to like, you know, what, what could the negative consequences of this wonderful change be yeah. right. And, and how do we sort of prevent um, and have an idea of when is um, too much, much. And I do want to, when, when is too much, I, I also want to correct myself I, I, on my Texas football point. You, Eric, you did bring up in the intro that, that um, this was an unsuited dual meet. And I think probably a lot of people associate, you know, in season fast performance with um, suiting up. And they're, you know, like, I don't really want to have that debate here on this podcast because I think it's not that interesting the debate, whether you wear a fast suit or not. And, you know, like, I don't want to hurt Speedo's feelings, you know, who obviously want to sell as many of those fast suits as possible, you know, but like it, it, um, I, I think I just bring it up because I, I, I do think it was an important like piece of the reporting of what was going on. Um, just probably not worth discussing that much. So, so Eric, you, you went even deeper. Um, you did something that, you know, Joel and I just weren't willing to do. And, and you actually listened to Todd DeSorbo I, I listened on a to podcast. Well. Er, oh, Eric, okay. Don't, don't, don't yeah, yeah, of course. I, I listened to it too. I don't know what I was saying there. Like, yeah, we all listened to it. So, but Eric, why don't you tell me what you heard when you listened to it? Uh, the biggest thing was, was listening to his messaging about the way that they're training. Yet there are some nuggets in there that are really, really interesting that any coach new or, or old can really garner from, from what he's doing. It's just that it is an experiment and that he doesn't have all the answers and that what he's doing is trying to find the balance between too much racing and speed or it's like protecting, protecting speed, as he put it, like not just not doing any speed work all year and just doing a bunch of base work to, to build the cup, as you will, before you fill the cup. Um, you know, and, and talking about that, the one thing that I, I found interesting that you just brought up and wondering what the messaging is throughout day by day, you know, week by week, what, what words are he use? What words are, is he using? Because it's really important between, you know, can and will, will and must, must and need, like when you start using absolutes, that can really make these things difficult. And if he's not using those absolutes as you must go 21-9 in a 50-fly split in a Twitter medley, it's just, let's see what you can do. I think you can do this. Like, leave it open-ended, and then it's like, there's that belief in the athlete. And, and that's kind of what I got a lot from him in, in that moment. And then um, aside from the fact that uh, it was brought to you by Triton, where uh, about every hey, they don't need any advertisement on this podcast. They got a, they got their money's worth. Brought to you by Triton, where uh, and he did talk a lot about data collection. He talked about some of the things that are most important. One thing he looks at every day is is push off power and velocity off the wall at short course. Why wouldn't you? And he's just taking it another step and having a data point as far as what the athletes have. Uh, on any given day um you know aside from that part the one thing i did find interesting about the results itself is like um some of the things that are coming through maybe coming through and one is is this going to be the i wouldn't say resurrection of a career but the resurrection of the trajectory of an athlete in claire tuggle so anybody Mm. who's been a swim nerd the last five six seven years she was an animal in the age group division. And then there was just this flattening out. Um, I don't want to get into details in her life because I don't know her. I don't know what's going on. I don't have all of the story. But she's a freshman at UVA right now. And she's, you know, looking at some of the times that are USA Swimming. And she's approaching some of those best times. You know, times right. that she hasn't touched in five plus years. So seeing what this change of landscape for somebody like that. Um, will do for them you know the other thing too is that the women by and large had a much better job of splitting and deltas between front half and back half than most of the men so that's a that could be a number of reasons 
but you're seeing an adaptation that the women are able to handle with the training right now than, than maybe the men. And it's, we're talking about some of the best swimmers of all time on the women's side that they're comparing to, which is kind of difficult. You know, the best ones on UVA and the men's side doing a better job overall splitting, but just the men not being there. Um, and then I got into their roster a bit, and it's like they got a lot of East of Coast kids. They got a couple of kids from Georgia, but it's gonna. It, I don't know if they're gonna be able to pull kids from the West Coast. They don't have anybody from right. Texas, you know. And Texas got a lot of fast swimmers in the high school ranks, given how the structure of their high school swimming is. So um, it'll be interesting to see how this continues with the men, because the men didn't swim slow. Like, it's not like they were terrible. They won a handful of events. They got some really great swims. Um, But it's just not the level of the women's side, and it's hard to compare when you have Olympic medalists on one half of your combined program, Right. you know, that are already there. So, um, Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, I saw, for instance, their men, especially, like, would you, if you were to make a strength of the UVA men's team, it would be, in sprinting um but then like you know florida i i think for the last um uh, since since i've been following them florida always has one elite 50 free guy like they always have one kind of trump card 50 free guy and they got josh liendo who's a world-class 50 freestyler on the team as a freshman this year so they they sort of nullified UVA's biggest strength in this meet. And that was more than anything, I think, what um, gave them a clear advantage in in, in the men's side um, of this meet. There, there was a discussion on here, and I'm, I'm actually curious to get Joel's opinion on it um, that you mentioned in our text, Eric. And there's a little bit of discussion, um, I think specifically with regards to Matt King and 100 free long course. I think if people are picking nits, on DeSorbo, they're probably going, well, you know, the the international like long course results from last summer were not quite up to the same standard because the, the standard in, in college swimming was, well, it was so impossibly high how well they did, right? It's like, it's almost like anything he did was not going to be as good at that. But two, when you're talking about like, what's the secret sauce for him? I keep on hearing all these things that I just think offer such a comparative advantage in short course swimming. And I actually bring it up, not as a criticism. I just think like, maybe we should just recognize that he's innovating on stuff that has a bigger impact in short course swimming. And like, so it's not gonna give him the the swimmers that he coaches like as big of an advantage in long course season. But I mean, what do you think, Joel? Yeah, I I think there's a lot of good points guys brought up. Well, I think uh, with with speaking to that, I mean, one of the things you mentioned was he's testing like their power off the walls and obviously that's a short course topic really more than anything um you know the breakout speed uh, you know getting into those first like you know even three four hand hits you know, that, that's everything i mean if, if you if you've got that then it's, it's hard to lose a race and so by by really making that the top priority i think that's kind of the money ball aspect or the, the market inequity is, is you you go after that hard and that's in you know we've seen that in NCAA's and things their breakouts are, are pretty solid you know obviously very solid in their turns of getting into and out of the walls because that's that's everything that it is and so yeah I think that's the thing where it, it's not as big of a, a, a deal when it, obviously it's always a big deal but relatively speaking in the in the world of elite level swimming like that I, I don't in, in like a you know long course meter eight hundred sure the walls are important but not as critical like as in a short course you have one turn that's it. You know, and it has to be, it has to be on. You miss the turn, you're off. And so th- that's the thing right. is amazing is how, how they're always on like that. Um, and w- a couple of things I was thinking about was like when you mentioned the, the pressure on these kids. I mean, you think about basketball teams like University of Kentucky basketball, the, the pressure's on the same kids. It's the same, you know, 18-year-olds, 19-year-olds that these kids are. But this, I mean, like the women are going in, they knew they're going to win the meet. It's just them racing them. And so it's not about the times. And that's the nice thing. Again, you see DeSorbo making sure they understand that. It's like it's just about racing, having fun racing. And I think getting that in practice, we're racing in practice, we're racing each other, you're racing the best of the best every day. And now you're in a meet and there happens to be another team while you're racing the best of the best. You know? And so there, there's, you can have a lot of fun swimming that and, and not have the pressure. 
and then kind of ramp up the pressure. And like you said in the, the uh, interview that I did listen to, was that, uh, th that it was a kind of taking pressure off of the bigger meat of, of the Olympics, which is the first time I've ever heard a college coach really bring that up, especially at this point in the year. So uh, I thought that was pretty cool. One, one earnest question I have, though, is when Eric brought up, you know, as far as recruiting the West Coast, is like, is that something you really need? especially if you're Virginia, because, you know, after found out about the Wahoos being a gold medal team, if you look on that list of 20. Thank you. Thank you. All of them, not all of them, you know, it's a little hyperbole there, but the majority of them are East Coast teams. You know, there, there's there's a team in California, I believe. There's a, there's a couple of teams. But as far as like from from Mississippi over, it's, it's that's the bulk of the top 20, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I'm just looking at the list as you bring that up, Joel. There's not, I, I, uh, unless I'm getting my, uh, I, I'm sorry, unless yeah. I'm getting yeah. my, my, my LSCs. Oh, sorry. There's Lakeside Aquatic Club. So the North yep. Texas is yep. in here. Right. There's one team from the state of Texas. Yeah. Um, there's one from, oh, sorry, one, two from California. Yeah. Um, and like, yeah, if you go, if you start down the line, it's North Carolina, North Carolina, California, Potomac Valley, which is Washington, D.C., Indiana, which some people count as the eastern part of the United States, I guess. You know, well, again, just everything comes like me. Uh, on My this side of the conversation was referring to the men's team. Yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not knocking what you're saying. To get recruits from the okay, entire okay, western take, part of the United States. Get, get your comfort blanket. Down down we, we, we're, we're coming at you. I'm just, I'm just saying um, what I find interesting is, again, it's the eastern portion of the country really has these. T and, again, I'm just using that as an indicator of age group swimming, what you're recruiting through. Obviously, you have international you need to get in getting you know, key kids out of California and Texas. But if they can just lock down North Carolina, you know, that's, that's it you're going to be a pretty solid team doing that. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Just, just looking, you know, at the two topics we talked about in the texturing, all of a sudden thinking about as far as recruiting, you know, they've, they've got a nice advantage with that. Um, but one of the things that's interesting is, is also, um, you know, listening to that whole Tritonware infomercial. And, and that's the thing is, is it's, it's an infomercial. So you've got to take a little bits and pieces out of it as far as like what you can get, you know, it's like watching, you know, the QVC or something like that. Um, but, but basically what I think is interesting is, again, just finally getting wearable technology into the pool and not just speaking about that. You know, like there's whoop bands. I know some kids like Bahus, I think, probably have those too. I mean, it's, it's accessible technology now. And I think for so many years, all of us coaches, you know, we're just kind of having to guess. You know, you, you write up your season plan. This is a season plan of like, you know, a generic swimmer that I think would do well. And then each individual swimmer trying to fit within that plan. It's always the, the elite coaches where the, guy, the people that could kind of see on a day-to-day -day basis what their group needs and also what each individual needs. And I think this helps also kind of give some numbers to that and looking at power and things like that, I think is a, probably a pretty good indicator too of seeing what, like when you're pushing a little too much, all of a sudden those power numbers will probably drop off quicker than anything. And so, um, yeah, yeah. I, I think it's, it's, again, it's one of those, as it, I'm sure the price will keep coming down and more teams get into it. But that's, I, I think, again, one of the ways you can just start individualizing it. And, and, again, a guy like an Eddie Reese or something like that who's been doing this so long, I'm sure a guy just walks in. He's like, nah, take a day off, you know, just because he knows. Uh, and now you've got actual right. numbers to back it up. I think also it can be a crutch, much, much like they're talking about the suits where all of a sudden, oh, I can't swim fast if I'm not suited up. Um, and the same thing here while well, all of a sudden it's like, well, the, the whoop band or the Triton wear or whatever says that today's not a good day to train. So I'm going to back. It's like, well, you know, sometimes those wearables are wrong too. So, I mean, it, I think it, there's, good and, there's good and bad that can come from it. But I think right now, uh, kind of like what Eric was saying earlier about it's like kind of, you know, keeping it going, keeping it having fun, keeping it fast. I think that, that's one of the, the, the keys that's really going to help when you have a bigger program too. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm terrified to ask, but do you have anything to add, Eric, on, um, on the bottom of that? <laughs> no, I mean, I guess the, the biggest thing is that I that I took away from that podcast and, and Joel just mentioned it was was taking the pressure off the Olympics, for, especially for the women's team and using the college college season as a distraction from that type of thinking. And it really makes a lot of sense when. As soon as you go pro, that's your focus. That's everything. 
And it's not fair to some of these athletes that are in that situation yet to have to think about that 24-7. So uh, it really is great. And he's, it seems to me that he is not, that he's, that he's definitely not old school, but just in terms of like that old school, not old school, not necessarily new school, just different. Um, in terms of, of thinking about like, we've got a couple more months to get ready. Like he doesn't, he's not putting a ton of weight in the fact that they've got to bring it back up and bring it back down. If we don't get this kind of volume metric, then we're going to be, you know, SOL. It's like, it's fine. Like it, everything's going to be okay. As long as we're in the right place mentally and we're having fun and we're just consistently trying to get better every day, then that stuff will take care of itself. Just as long as you're being attentive to the, the programming you're doing and not necessarily get caught up in doing you know a lot of volume and he did speak to that he's thrown out practice he's stopped sets he's he's like a set's going really well they do more rounds of it and he drops something later you know you come back to it so there just seems to be a lot more um confidence in just going with what's working and not and then be okay with not sticking to the plan if the plan isn't working in the moment so yeah, it's it's good stuff that, that every coach needs to hear and understand and just be OK with. Sometimes things aren't going to work out right away. Just keep moving. Also, be OK if you're not as good as Todd DeSorbo. <laughs> yeah, that, just, get, just, get, just get used just get used to the idea uh, that you might not be at that level. You're right. Um, OK, let's talk about turns. Um, you guys know that um, I was quite fired up a couple weeks ago. We exchanged a lot of text messages. Um, accusations were made, okay? M many of them unfair, I think, at certain people. I don't think we need to get into all the details of it, but I, I ended up making a video um, and uh, quickly got a very helpful comment from somebody. I got uh, some input from the unofficial fourth member of the podcast who can actually manage to show up to record a podcast, Trevor Gray. Um, and I don't know if Trevor's going to enjoy that shout out as much as his other shout outs, <laughs> but you know, too bad. Um, no lies. We're told. Where, where, where are we at, Joel? Like what's going on with people doing turns and, um, you know, the, they're that part of their leg slash foot. Like, I, I, I still think, you know, as far as freestyle turns, I've always liked a uh, lockty freestyle turn. I always thought that was um, really exemplifies kind what of is that? all that well, I was kind of get to that point, but geez, I, oh, okay. I, I like how you don't rush Eric. I get rushed. What's the deal with this? Huh? So, so as you get into the wall, the thing that, um, you know, when the, the classic boomer kind of breakdown of things was you, you got your center of buoyancy in your lungs and you got your center of mass into the hips and you just kind of trying to get the center of buoyancy out of the way of the center of mass. And so as, as you get, as locked, you get into the wall, you start pressuring his chest down into the water from the sternum. And, and um, once you do that, now the center of mass is still driving into the wall. And then the center of buoyancy become, becomes like that axis of rotation. So they drive the chin in. So it's like first the chest goes down, chin goes in, and now the, the, the center of mass is going to start to go right over the top. Up, oh, we lost Joel in the middle of his point. He'll so, come back. Um, <laughs> He'll come back. I swear. <laughs> we'll let him finish when he comes back. Uh, so he was he was referring to just the entire mechanics of the flip turn. I guess we can kind of touch a little bit on what was going on in terms of your conversation and in the heels and the heels dropping of the wall. Um, yeah, I mean, I I totally agree with him with that whole part. Um, I have spent. Uh, a lot of time, uh, uh, I think when I'm teaching kids, um, at how to turn my entire focus is on what he's describing on taking that center of buoyancy and essentially getting it out of the way. Um, and I, I, I probably, there you are. I, I, I left it at a cliffhanger. Now you guys are like, what? Yeah. What? I got We're it. like, what's next? So as the center mass rolls over the top, you, you just bring the, the legs in. So you kind of shorten that line up from the legs yeah. in, and so you get a faster rotation. And so I think a lot of times people are into going up spinning. And so it looks fast, 
but it's just all the momentum from the swim has gone into rotation rather than still carrying momentum into the wall. So like a, Boomer used to call it a, a, a semi-jackknifing. And so it still kind of keeps on traveling down the highway. The idea is that you're getting the momentum going into the wall now, and then it kind of gets to the part we were talking about, like, do you let the heels land on? So it's not like you're letting them slide down the wall. It's more like you're, you're jumping. So you're, you're driving your legs into the wall. And um, so, you know, after that, I never really talked about it. I just kind of let the kids kind of do their thing and let, let that take over. Because I thought if they're trying to drive into their heels, then you get kids stuck on the wall. It was my, my theory on it. But then as you pointed out, you know, you see a lot of times with people in a slam dunk competition or something, they're driving their heel down to build up potential energy and kind of like that energy gets stored and then it's released pretty explosively. And so yeah. uh, I always thought just with the arch, you know, the, 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 the ball of the foot hitting and then using the kind of the arch of the foot like as a spring to go into the, the power off of the wall. Um, and, and so that's why I always taught that. But uh, so what was your thought then? Well, hopefully, well, so hopefully you can I, I edit think, out the part where I dropped out, so maybe it's a little more cohesive, but maybe not. No, that's, that's all right. That's a lot of work. Yeah, it's a lot of work. Never mind. Yeah, I mean, I think the most helpful comment that I got here was from commenter Shelby, and I, I heard this from Trevor as well. Um, he sent me a video that I think everybody should watch. It's 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 linked in the comment um, under the original video. It's somebody doing a forty-seven inch vertical leap and. Um, I think you should watch it for no other reason than if you watch it in quarter speed, like I did, it looks like as if he levitates, Yeah, you know, for, for a moment, like it's, 47 I've never is seen, insane. Holy cow. Yeah. Right. Like an, an elite, elite athlete, vertical leap. I remember being like 39, 40 inches. Yeah. We're talking about, you know, like 20% better than that. Right. Like right. it completely blows my mind. But anyway, um, Watching, watching this guy do it, you can see before he's about to make the jump, you know, like he's just standing on the ground, right? His heels are off the ground. But in order to make the jump, he lifts his heels and then essentially they tap and then everything like explodes off from there. Um, and that there's a term for this that I learned through him and Trevor, a stretch shortening cycle that's going on with the Achilles tendon. You know, so I, I actually don't know enough. And now I'm going to reveal my ignorance again. I don't know enough about uh, physiology to know which part is the stretching of the Achilles tendon. I'm guessing it's when your heel comes in, right? Then the Achilles tendon is stretching and then it shortens and releases, as you say, sort of Joel, that potential energy. Um, just the, 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 the change in shape of the Achilles tendon essentially creates that. So... You know, like, yeah, I guess if you if you pay attention to what you're doing on the turn and you notice that you're actively working against your Achilles tendon stretching after your foot, like you're trying to keep it just like stiff so that, you know, you can't um, engage that cycle. Yeah, you're probably missing out on a lot of power in terms of how you push off on the wall. Um, but, you know, probably a lot of people are naturally doing this right it would, would be my guess. Um, Eric, what, what did you find when you went into the pool yourself as you so urged me to do? And, you know, like, yeah. I think, I think you said something like, if you don't want to try this by yourself, you can't make a video about it, which I don't think is fair. Which you will. I, I think you uh -huh. criticized your weight too. That was the worst part. Yeah. He said, Hey, yeah. <laughs> yeah. there's yeah, a little we, bit we of shaming going fat. on. Yeah. It was a lot right, of, yeah. Get into the pool. Like it was really hard, Eric. Yeah. No. So I, I actually actively tried to put my heels on the wall um, and that hurt my right ankle. <laughs> it, it is such an awkward, it is such an awkward place regardless of, of where you are within the turn. You have to be so tight to the wall to be able to like actively get your heels on the wall and that just be the activity. But to, to try to do the stretch um, situation and try to get your heels all the way down, my left ankle is a little bit better than my right. But in any event, you really can feel... If you're paying attention to it, you feel the heel drop. Um, yeah. You know, depending upon your mobility, is whether or not it drops fully, and you kind of, I could tell that I was my left heel was grazing the wall ever so slightly, so there was a little bit more of a drop there than, than maybe on the right side. And, and 
Part of it is the rotation of my turn is just a bit skewed to the left, but just trying to go straight over. Uh, I noticed that I did, after I was doing more and more of the turn, there is a bit of a resistance to allow the heels to drop completely, just from a standpoint of the awkward nature of the angles of your hips to your femur, your femur through your knee and your knee through, you know, lower bones in your legs and into your ankle and your contact points being through the walls of your feet. You have certain things that you instinctually do to avoid injury. Now, there are some kids that act, that may actively just like be so rigid, but you can see that there's going to get, there's going to get like, they might make it to the flags, right? right. It's going to be a very awkward push. They might make it to the flags, but, um, no, I did notice, you know, the, I didn't necessarily feel the stretch through my Achilles, but I could feel like essentially that loading in my arch and in my foot itself. Um, and when, when you're connecting with it well, you don't really feel a lot. Like it's just, mm. there's just almost like a disappearance of all this tension and you can, you, you notice your velocity coming off the wall. So at the same time, there was some that weren't necessarily as good as others. Uh, I noticed more the velocity than maybe the unloading of the jump itself. Um, but, but yeah, I think it's, you know, what you talked about with that 47 inch vertical is that there was a loading of it. And then that springboard off. I did some, I did some box jumps the next day, just trying to see what I would feel my heels do in it within my shoes and just seeing like, as right. I was going through it, there almost was a, steps within the actual movement itself you know like my hips dropping and then as i was going through that almost like there was a heel lift and then there was a continuation upwards but i don't have a 47 inch vertical it's probably like not yet probably not with like, that yeah. attitude you won't yeah. eric <laughs> yeah but I, but it is it is interesting to actually go through and think about the process of the flip and how you're trying to place your feet and what is going to be that that most explosive moment and, and it, it makes sense that, that, that Todd DeStorvo, sponsored by Tritonware, would do such a thing like paying attention to that velocity off the wall and what are, if there are problems, trying to reverse engineer back to that contact point. Obviously, streamline in, in scare quotes is, is, is important, um, only from the standpoint of you know, hydrodynamics and, and, and not having as much resistance, but going all the way back to what's happening at the wall with the hips and the knees and the ankles and all the angles and, and what's going on through the push. Um, I'm going to ignore your jab about streamlines because, you know, I think I want to keep things civil here on the podcast, but you did bring up a point that I, I would like to hear a little bit more about. And that is, I, I think you talked about mobility allowing, Right. And, and mobility is an issue here. Right. In terms of like most people are going to land on the ball of their foot and um, the momentum of what they're doing will probably carry their heels into the water if their mobility will allow it. And I, as you said that, um, I was just thinking about the fact that like, you know, people will say like, oh, like this person has really mobile ankles, but that's not an omnidirectional mobility in most cases. Right. Most people, most Fast swimmers, they have a lot of ankle mobility in the opposite direction, yeah. right? With their with their feet pointed. Yeah. We're talking about the the flexion. reverse yeah. of flexion, yeah, yeah. of this. Um, and I'd be really interested to see whether there's like a lot of really good dolphin kickers out there who maybe can't push off the wall that well, and it's limiting the potential of what they can do um, with their dolphin kick because. You know, the, one of the points I made in the video that I think is, is worth repeating hundreds of times because there seem to be a lot of people in swimming circles who don't understand it, you know, like you don't generate additional velocity by dolphin kicking. You, you just ma maintain more speed from whatever you pushed off um, the wall at. So I'm, I'm wondering if there's a lot of people out there with, the, with a lot of feet pointing ankle mobility who maybe can't get... Uh, can't load fully into that push off yeah. and it's limiting how much they can use that strength. Yeah. And I'm sure there's a, yeah, a lot of it has to do with that. Um, the mobility or at least the, 
when it comes to that flexion and, and having really tight Achilles tendons. Like yeah. the old school calf stretch might actually be not that bad of a thing to do every now and then. So you can make sure that you're able to get a little bit better movement um, toes towards your nose than, than maybe toes away from your nose. And um, But yeah, it is, it is interesting to actually get in the water and think about the movements as they're happening because if if you've done it if you've done it enough times you start thinking about actually more so the approach into it so when joel talks about you know buoyancy and the, the shift of the hips over straight over the top so you just everything is moving in a, in a fluid motion towards that end point which is getting the feet to the wall and then like everything that goes into it there's all these weird like almost instinctual things that are happening in terms of placing the feet on the wall where they actually are relative to the knees and the hips. And when it's a good push, trying to recognize where they are in that moment, um, which, you know, not a lot of younger kids may know or know how to do. Um, so I think the biggest thing is for any coaches, you know, are listening or, or any athletes that are, are thinking about doing this, it just, just spend some time in an open warm up format, give the kids 10 minutes, to to just play with the turns what do you feel are there are there moments where there's a stretch you know like you said maybe it, it's okay to just say just try to get your heels to the wall what happens how do you what what does that make you feel is it super uncomfortable like with me my 41 year old right ankle was like this is stupid um but but the re, you know the reality is is it's going to take a bit of experimentation and, and an open mind by athletes and coaches and just seeing where, where it goes. Yeah. Uh, sorry, Joel, I muted you because of clanging plates in the background, but um, yeah, yeah. you have anything does, does to, the wife to add off the bottom? No, no, no. Okay. As soon as Eric said, uh, bo- uh, Boxed lunches. I just started getting hungry, and I just kind of. Oh, it's box. <laughs> box jumps. Box jumps. All right. Yeah. Well, anyway, I was thinking box um, lunches, so I kind of tuned out. I'm sorry. Anyway, yeah, we're gonna get you to your turkey club as soon as possible. Awesome. Here. But um, I uh, just a couple things, news stories I wanted to comment on quickly at the end of this. Um, the first one was earlier this week. Um, uh, it was announced that uh, Fred Phelps, who's um, Michael Phelps's father had passed away. And uh, I, I just want to bring this up because in reading the, the very brief article that I read about it, I learned something new about Michael Phelps that I didn't know. I, I the, the, the part of the story that I had always heard that was that he was estranged from his father. I mean, very famously, you know, I guess if you thought about it for a few seconds, like at all the swim meets, you got those shots of his mom in the stands, you know, his mom was famous enough when he was swimming, I think, to get her own commercials and like have her own sort of advertising career. And his sisters were often there as well. Um, and, and you know, his father was was conspicuously absent. Um, and I think there was some some ink spilled at the time about uh, the nature of that relationship. What I learned that I didn't know um, was that uh, partly stemming from the therapy that Michael got after his DUI arrest, uh, he had made an effort to reconcile with his father. And it sounds like his father had as well. And um, I don't know, the story about it really uh, touched me as somebody who, you know, I'm, I'm around the same age as Michael. Um, uh, most listeners podcasts know that my mother passed away five years ago. Um, you know, it, it makes you think a lot about uh, all the things that you've left unsaid and all the sort of pieces of a relationship you've left unresolved. And it actually made me really happy uh, for Michael in that moment that um, I know that's a weird thing to say when, when you're, when your uh, parent passes away, but I'm, I'm happy for him that he was able to get to a different place um, in a relationship with his father. And I think like, honestly, just as a guy, um, and I, and I, I, some of the demographics on this audience, I do know we have a lot of male listeners. Um, I, I know from talking to my guy friends, um, most of us are, are, um, 
probably not as close with our dad as we are with our mom. So there, there's a really relatable um, piece to this. And if your dad's out there and he's, he's still alive, um, you know, I think there's still time for you to do something um, like Michael did. Um, and then the second was, one was uh, Pernille Blume, um, Danish Olympic champion in 53, retired. Um, she had been taking some time off um, intermittently, even between uh, 2016 Olympics and the 2020 Olympics that were contested in 2021. I always find it so confusing when that's in articles, you know. Um, but I, uh, I, I want to mention it more than anything because I think it's worth revisiting that um, a story that was well covered within Denmark, but not necessarily outside of Denmark, was that um, she came extremely close to quitting swimming six months before she won Olympic gold. Um, like I, I can remember being in the country and having people be like, well, she's done. Like, this is it. She's through. And, you know, it's sad because she still had some potential left in her career. Like, it's a story we've probably all seen uh, a lot of times. And, um, you know, I think there's no shame in quitting if you get to a point where swimming doesn't work for you. And I think she's she's probably at that point now, obviously, for for retiring. But I think there's an uplifting piece to this as well, where, um, you know, sometimes um, we're we're in the sort of uh, lowest valley of, or what we perceive to be the lowest valley of what we're doing. And the, the greatest peak is, you know, just around the corner. Um, and I certainly was for her. So I wish her well um, in her life and career. And uh, I wish everybody who's probably trying to make their own decision about uh, what they want to do next the same. Um, guys, thanks so much for listening. Joel and Eric, thank you for being here all the obligatory plugs, um, like subscribe, um, this post I have started as of last week, putting, uh, in the notes timestamps. So you actually know what we're talking about at what juncture in there, in case you're somebody who really doesn't want to listen to a bunch of guys talk about heels, um, for, you know, an inordinate amount of time, you actually have the option to do that. Um, I may even do it at the time of uploading. We'll see. Probably not. I'll probably do it the next day. So you can wait. Baby steps. Baby steps. <laughs> we're on uh, Spotify now. We, we are on iTunes and we're on Spotify. Um, the Swim Brief, uh, you can find us there. Very exciting. We're, we're, we're on a whole new platform. Um, probably has something to do with us uh, reaching a new listenership goal. So thank you to all those people. If you want positive psychology content, Instagram, Chris D underscore coach.com. Chris DeSantis coaching on Facebook, Chris D coach.com. If you want to read some of my old blogs or just listen to the podcast, you're an old person like my dad. And that's the only way you can figure out to listen to the podcast. Cause what's this app thing on my phone? That, that would be your way um, to do that. Um, and once again, thank you. And we will uh, see you guys again next week. Thanks, Chris. Thanks.